Amen and good morning. You may take a seat as we get rolling this morning. If you're a child and would like to go to the kids' lesson, you're welcome to go to the back lobby um, right now. Um, as we dive into the scriptures, as we continue our series, Follow the King, we'll be in Mark chapter 14 uh, this morning. We've seen in Mark uh, the call to follow Jesus. And this morning in particular, we're going to see four different groups of, of people respond to Jesus, respond to the call to follow Him, and in particular, we're going to see what they think of His worth. Let's look now at the Scripture. Um, chapter 14, verse 1, It was now two days before the Passover, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests... And the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it out over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Jesus, has, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, would you uh, be with us this morning as we go through your word, and would you Help us to see your incredible value and worth, the incredible value and worth of our Savior, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may have seen the YouTube series called Worth It. Um, There's one episode uh, where these guys, the the episode is called $2 Pizza versus $2,000 Pizza. And the question is, is it worth it? And these guys, they go, they taste the food. You know, they taste the $2 pizza from Joe's Pizza in New York City. Just simple cheese pizza. It's delicious. Then they go to this fancy industrial kitchen place and taste this 24-karat gold pizza. Squid ink dough topped with foie gras. Specialty cheese from England. Black truffles from France topped with 24-karat gold from Ecuador. And then baked. And then after it's out of the oven... A caviar from the Caspian Sea. One of their friends was trying it afterwards, and she took a bite of it and said, Yeah, it's disgusting. You know, at the end of that show, every, every time they say, you know, is it worth it? Which one do we think is really worth it of the things that they tried? And they did not choose this $2,000 pizza. It, it wasn't worth it. And where do they show up at the very end of the episode? But at Joe's Pizza, getting another piece of pizza, Right? because it wasn't worth it. We, we know a lot about uh, things, whether things are worth it or not. We're constantly deciding whether they are. Just this past week, I was trying to buy something on Facebook Marketplace and you know, constantly trying to figure out, is it worth it or not, as I even uh, message people and try to make an offer, and then they say, no, nah, it's not worth it. Right? This morning, we're going to see four groups of individuals and how they evaluate 
ultimately Jesus is worth. So let's look. The first one is, is the plotters, that is the religious leaders, verses 1 and 2. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Since the beginning of Mark, we've seen the religious leaders trying and seeking a way to destroy Jesus. Well, finally, the time has come. Uh, Finally, their plans are really being developed, and and the moment has now come for them to act out on their plans to destroy him, but they have a problem. It's Passover. There are tons and tons and tons of people in town and tons of people who would probably be supporters of Jesus, and so they want to be careful. They're scared because they don't want to cause, as the text says, an uproar from the people. They must create a plan of stealth. And what do we see at the end of our passage? But that Judas comes in and provides an opportunity of stealth for them. Verse 11, when they heard it, when Judas came, when they heard it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. They, they were giddy. They were excited. The, the, the opportunity of stealth was right there before them with Judas. He could be delivered over in the middle of the night and not cause the big uproar. Why were these religious leaders so intent Upon destroying Jesus, they were very hostile to him, right? Where did this hostility come from? If you think all the way back to the very beginning of Mark, what are the religious leaders, what is their struggle? Whenever they see Jesus, they say, he's eating with what? Who? Tax collectors and sinners, right? And the leaders, they're repulsed by that. They're repulsed by it. Because they thought they had the ability to keep the law. They, they believed that somehow they could do it. They, they believed that they could somehow make themselves righteous, right? But how does Jesus respond to those religious leaders back then? He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the, the religious leaders, they thought they were good enough. They thought they were righteous. They didn't think they needed a physician, They failed to see how incredibly sick they were. They were were hostile to Jesus because he was was saying, you can't do it on your own. And they were hostile to Jesus because it meant a potential loss for them, right? It meant a potential loss of power for them. Their power over the people, they had great religious power in the day. And so, and this is the question we want to ask of each of these groups of people, they were asked, if you will, the question, is Jesus worth it? And they said, no. Absolutely. He's not worth it. He has negative worth, in fact. We'll give money just to, to kill him. We, we, we don't want him. Now, as we think about ourselves this morning, we probably don't have many, if any, in here who are just openly hostile to Jesus. But can you at the same time, do you have some sort of uh, connection with these religious leaders? What do they do? They, do? Do we ever look to our own good deeds, thinking somehow we can do it? Somehow thinking that we can make ourselves acceptable before God. Or maybe we, like them, lack compassion for the lost. Lack compassion for those who Jesus was eating with, right? Or maybe, like them, we defend our positions, or the positions that we gain in this world, more than we defend people. Far more concerned about ourselves. That when we're confronted with situations in our life, our self-interest wins. 
And that's who these religious leaders are. They're, they're so self-interested. They're so into themselves. Now this is, this is bad news, right? And this isn't good news for us to just think through, but I, I want to also remind us of some good news. If, if, we, if you are in Christ this morning, if you're one of his, these things that I just mentioned, they're changing in you, aren't they? Or they should be. You, you, while yes, you still look at your good deeds at times and you say, oh, I'm not that bad. You are also learning more and more that you can't do it, right? You're learning more and more how desperately you need him and are lost without him. Your compassion for the lost, I pray, is growing. And that more and more, maybe you, you think and you're willing to do things that are contrary to your self-interest. You see, these things begin to grow in us even as we do look something like these religious leaders. Now there's another character. Next one is the betrayer. This is Judas. And as I was thinking of this, I was reminded, many of you, you've probably seen Braveheart, many of you. And William Wallace is, of, of course, the character. He's seeking to liberate Scotland, right? And in the midst of it, he builds a relationship with Robert the Bruce. He's, he's like the most powerful guy in Scotland, right? He's the one you want on your side. And, and, and Robert the Bruce is faced with a quandary. Will he seek and promote the independence of Scotland? Or will he promote his own self-interest? Will it be about accumulating his own power and wealth and therefore betray William Wallace? Well, his father gets into his ear. His father wants him to be the king of Scotland. His father believes that the best way there is to cooperate with England. And so what happens, of course, there's that moment at the, the Battle of Falkirk where Robert the Bruce doesn't show up on William Wallace's side. And in fact, he fights on the side of the English. And he lifts his helmet and William Wallace sees that he's been betrayed. We have a greater betrayal in our passage. Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. And they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. What an incredibly heartbreaking moment, isn't it? Somebody who's been with Jesus. He, a trusted follower, one even trusted with the money. One who was counted at a friend, and yet he betrays Jesus. Now, Mark doesn't tell us really why, but he does say that he went, doesn't it? He made a decision to betray Jesus. You see, he looked at Jesus, in a sense asking him the question, is Jesus worth it? And he said, well, Jesus is worthy of betrayal. For, for, for some coins, for some money, I'll betray him. A few thousand dollars, I, I'll betray him. He's not worth it. Now, as we hear this, we should hear a bit of a warning that here is somebody who is so close to Jesus and yet still missed him. You and I, even if you're here, you come here every week, you can be this close to Jesus and still miss him. Don't think that just because you're kind of near him, that that makes you one of his. Okay? I mean, just think of it. And this is a hard one for all of us, your, your preacher this morning included. What are you willing to sell Jesus for? Or maybe the better question isn't, what would you be, what do you sell Jesus for? We all do it, don't we? Every, every time you choose sin... You're choosing to betray him. You're choosing to sell him out. Every time that you choose your own pleasure over him, you're choosing to sell him out. 
When you, you, you choose, well, my material possessions are what are really important to me, you're selling them out. When, when you choose your own comfort over sharing Jesus with somebody, you're selling him out. You're betraying him. When you seek power in this world and prestige and, and you do that as his expense, you are betraying him. When you trust in your own goodness and not his, you're betraying him. You're selling him out. You see, as long as you and I, as long as we don't really understand Jesus' worth, we're going to continue to sell him out. Whenever difficult times come, we're, we're going to betray him for a few gold coins. Now, I don't want us to lose heart as we hear this. This is heavy, right? Let's not lose heart. Back to Braveheart. Um, after the betrayal, the, the father and the son, Robert the Bruce, are talking. The father says to him, son, we, we must have an alliance with England to prevail. You achieved that. You saved our family. You increased our land in time. You will have all the power of Scotland. To this, Robert says, lands, titles, men, power, nothing. His father says, nothing? And Robert responds and says this. He says, I have nothing. Men fight for me because if they do not, I throw them off my land. I starve their wives and their children. Those men who bled on the ground red at Fulcork, they fought for William Wallace, and he fights for something that I've never had. And I took it from him when I betrayed him, and I saw it on his face on the battlefield, and it's tearing me apart. His father responds, saying, all men betray. All lose heart. But Robert the Bruce responds, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe as he does. I will never be on the wrong side again. You see, as we confront our betrayal of Jesus, a lot is said by the way we deal with it. Do we deal with it as Judas does and seek another opportunity to betray him? I fear sometimes we do that. We immediately begin plotting the next time, the next thing. Or are you, in a sense, a little bit more like Robert the Bruce? Desiring and longing not to lose heart. To never be on the wrong side again. And you see there's a difference there. A big difference. Desiring never to be on the wrong side again. Why? Because you have confidence of who Jesus is. That, that he is the one whom you've betrayed. And the, the one who you have betrayed has gone to the cross for your betrayal. The way that you're going to betray him this week, he went to his, the cross for you, for that. Do we understand that? Do we understand the depth of that? And the depth of that should have us to say that we, no, I don't want to lose heart. I don't want to be on the wrong side again. Father, help me. W would you help me to be more deeply devoted to you and to understand your worth? Now, our passage here this morning, we have another one of these things that we've called a Markian sandwich that we've seen through Mark. You see that the very first part that we've already talked about, this very first little bit, the top bun of the sandwich is the religious leaders seeking to kill Jesus. The bottom bun is Judas betraying Jesus, right? But what does Mark put right dab in the middle? He puts something completely opposite. He puts an alternative approach. He puts the approach of the devoted woman, 
who comes to Jesus. But we also see, though, as we look at her, we're going to see that there's another group of people, too, and that's who we'll call this morning the lukewarm ones. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon, the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. Here they are. Um, This house of Simon the leper, probably somebody who Jesus had healed. And she comes in. She takes this flask and and, and she breaks it and dumps it all over Jesus. This nard, it's an an aromatic oil, a perfume. It would have been very strong. Some commentators like, this smell would have been on him for days and days. So when when Jesus says that she's anointed me for my burial, the, the scent would have no doubt carried over to his literal burial dumping a whole flask of it on him. And it's also extremely expensive, right? The the text says more than 300 denarii. 300 denarii, that would be equal to like a year's wage. For practical purposes this morning, we're just going to call it $30,000, okay? Could be a little more, could be a little less. $30,000. But don't forget, Mark also says more than. So so more than $30,000, and she just comes in, And she breaks it on Jesus' head, breaks it open. It can never be used again, you know. know, She doesn't come in, just do a little little dab or or, or something. She pours it all out on him. You might be asking, where in the world does she get something so expensive? Likely it's an inheritance, something that's been passed down through her family. And she chooses this moment to pour it all out. Now, there's a response of a group of people here, right? The ones, some call them the lukewarm ones this morning. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. So they scolded her. I mean, can you imagine this extravagance? Can you imagine pouring something that costs $30,000 on somebody's head and just in a few moments it all being gone? And it's a group of people here. Some, they, we're told, responded. And remember, this this is a group of Jesus' followers. These are people who who liked Jesus, who thought much of Jesus. And some of them, they responded, and what did they say? They said, this is a waste. What what are you thinking? That that $30,000, it could have gone to help the poor. And you just wasted it all on Jesus. So they, they scold her literally kind of growling at her, their, their nostrils flaring at her. To them, what she had done was unthinkable. You see, the, these lukewarm ones, they, they're asked the question, is he worth it? And their answer would be, he, he's worth something. In fact, he's probably worth a lot, but he's not worth that much. This is too much. Do you resonate at all with that? Can we be honest? Do do you resonate at all with that? Does the story give you a little bit of heartburn? I mean, come on, this is a lot. Isn't it too much? It's like that $2,000 pizza. It's just like, is it really worth it? You see, many of us in here, I fear, are very practical and reasonable Christians. Right? And so we're confronted with something like this, and it's extravagant and, and, and radical. If we're honest, radical devotion kind of scares us. 
reminded of the words of Jesus to the church at Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How often can we be like that? Lukewarm. Lacking true devotion. Being practical and reasonable Christians who look at the, this $30,000 event and think it's too much. Do we recognize, do we really see the worth and the value of Jesus? We have one last character in our, our story this morning, the one we'll call the devoted one, the woman. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded, some of you may know the name, Alex Hanold. He is the guy who, who climbed El Capitan, 3,000 feet of granite, without any ropes, just his fingertips and his toes. It's incredible to watch and, and you know, scary to watch, too, because you're just waiting. You know, he, you know he's not going to die, but you're just waiting for him to fall because it's just so terrifying. Thousands of feet up, no ropes, no nothing. How was he able to do that? He's able to do that because he was totally and is totally devoted to his sport of climbing. Okay, so devoted that in the context of the documentary about him, his girlfriend, who's actually now his wife, was asking him, like, she says, now does our relationship, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're dating now, I'm your girlfriend, does our relationship in any way affect your decision to go climb a mountain like that and potentially risk your life? She basically says, so that's the question she basically asked him. And he looks at her and he says, No. I in no way feel obligated to maximize my lifetime. Told her, I feel no, I don't feel at all obligated to maximize my lifetime for you. He was so devoted and is so devoted to his sport. Now we might look at that and say that's crazy and I think it is a bit and, and that's a little too much. But in some ways I think it connects with us and we see it in our passage this morning with, 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 with the devoted one, this woman. She comes, she pours this expensive perfume on Jesus. And she's criticized for it. And how wonderful it is that it's Jesus that stands up and defends her. Jesus stands up to defend her. Leave her alone, he says. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing. Jesus looks at her act of devotion. One that most of us kind of, you know going to step back a little bit when we hear about it. He looks at her act of devotion and he says it's beautiful. You see, she knows, I think, what she's doing. It is beautiful because she understands Jesus' worth. Now he responds to some of the disciples there. What does he say? For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you'll not always have me. Now, Jesus isn't against giving to the poor. We have an active ministry which we can, which I'm excited about, to mercy ministry to those who do not have in Elkton. And I think Jesus is for that ministry, okay? But Jesus was telling the people in that room at that moment, he's saying, you'll always have the poor, which you don't understand. In just a couple of days, you're not going to have me. You have me right now in the room with you. You don't get it. She gets it. She understands who's in the room with you. You don't get it. 
Verse 8, she has done what she could. She's anointed me, anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, does the woman, does she completely understand what she's doing? Is she thinking of this as anointing him for his burial? Probably not. But I think by this point, she probably has come to the realization that he really is the Messiah. That he really is the one who has been promised. And that he is really worth it. Now, a little bit of an aside that I think we need to see real quick. You understand, by by Jesus' response here, do you understand what he is saying? Jesus is saying, in front of this group of people, He's saying, I am worth it. He's saying, I am worth having $30,000 just poured out upon my head. He says, I'm worth it. Now that means something really important to everybody in here. Okay? And I want you to understand that because we got to confront that task. If anybody else would ever stand in front of you and say that they're worth it like that, run! Okay? You know, if I were to ever stand in front of you, oh, I'm worth it. You need to, you know, no. But Jesus, in a sense, is standing before us this morning, and he's saying, I am worth it. And we really, I think, only have two options. Either he really is worth it, or he's just a madman. And you must decide, is he worth it or not? Jesus says about her, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Coming true. Right now. This morning here. As it's come through, as it's come true over and over throughout the history of the church. As we hear this woman say, as she is asked the question, is he worth it? And she's in that room and it seems like nobody else thinks he is. And she realizes that he is worth it. As we gather this morning for this thing we call worship, which comes from worth, you understand, right? Comes from how we value him. We're gathered this morning not for a time of self-help. It's not a time to just make you feel good and help, and help you give you some pointers in your life. We've gathered here this morning to worship. And in fact, this morning, if, if, if when I'm up here preaching, if, if I'm just filling your head with knowledge and, and interesting facts and some nice stories, and it doesn't lead you to worship, something is wrong. Because that's why we're gathered here. Is it worth it? Is it worth you coming here every single Sunday and gathering together and and that we can worship our great God together? That we can praise the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior? Is it worth it? There's nothing too extravagant for Him. He is worth it. You can't worship Him too much, you understand. Do you remember Paul's words? Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, 
The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Do you, this morning, know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord? Do you know it? How can you know it more deeply? How can, how can you have that same kind of devotion that we see Paul here having that we see the woman having in our story this morning. In a sense, there's a couple of things that we need to do. First, we we need to understand our, our need. And that's in a sense why we went through the things that we did earlier. To understand our need, that, that we look a whole lot like those religious leaders at times. We, we, we so often betray Jesus, like Judas. We so often can be lukewarm ones, like those who said, this is too much. Is he really worth it? Do you this morning know your desperation for him? Do you know that you can't do this on your own? I, I think that for all of us, in those hours of, of real quiet, when there's silence in our lives, which probably doesn't happen very often, in those moments, I think we, we feel it and we sense it, don't we? We know our desperation, we know our need, we know our inadequacies. We know our shame. But that's the wonder that leads to the wonder of the one who we worship. The one who became needy for us. The Apostle Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Do you understand that in a sense? That woman was anointing the poorest person who has ever walked the face of this earth. The great God, our great God who took on human form, who emptied himself, the one that knew no sin, who, who, who took on our sin, he became poor so that you and I can become rich. If this is really true, if Jesus really did this, if, if he really died for us, if he really died for our betrayal of him, if he really paid for our sins, He is worth it. The question for all of us this morning, as we go into our week, and not just right now, in a moment where our hearts are a bit more primed for worship, but this afternoon and Tuesday and Thursday, we need to be asking ourselves the question, is He worth it? Is he worth it? Is he really worth it? Is he just a madman? Which is it? You can't pick in between. We're here this morning because he is worth it. Because he has accomplished it all for us. The incredible good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. 
for our Savior Jesus Christ, the one who is worth it. And we confess sometimes we don't act as though he really is. We don't live as though he really is. We don't make decisions as though he really is. Oh, would you change that more and more in us? Lord, we pray. Would you help us not to lose heart? Would you help us to, to, to not be on the wrong side again? Oh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. Would you help us to trust you as we go into this week? And as we go into this week, would we worship you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, worshiping our great Savior, the one who deserves all of our worship, and it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen.